Tonight I'm going to be talking about something that's very dear to my heart and to my family. Reaching in to reach out. What do you think of that? Reaching in to reach out. You know, we're told in 1 Corinthians 7, 16, some very beautiful words, and I've known these words for, for many years before I came to understand about really reaching in. It says, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? You mean wives can save husbands? I thought Jesus was our Savior. <laughs> and then it goes on and it says, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife. Reaching in to reach out. That's where it starts, brothers and sisters. Reaching in to reach out. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, and I hope in a very simple and practical way that can be meaningful to each one of us here tonight. You know, I appreciated Elvin's prayer. It's not just for families, right? It's not just for people who have children. The messages that we have been experiencing together through this last few days are for every heart here. The young and the old. The married, the unmarried. God is calling to each of our hearts individually first. I want you to picture a graphic scene with me. A scene that took place in the home of a husband and wife that we know very well. Picture with me the woman. She's sitting in their home, huddled, crouched in the corner of their office on the floor. The woman is weeping, shaking, nearly uncontrollably. She feels unloved. She feels unappreciated. And she feels like she is a second-rate wife to her husband. Can you picture the scene? Woman sitting in the corner of her office in their home, shaking and weeping. What kind of husband does this woman have anyway? Doesn't your heart go out to her? Can you see it? Doesn't that draw your heart to this woman? You know, some of you here tonight can relate to that woman. Let's talk a moment about her husband. Her husband is looked up to by his co-workers. He's very highly respected by the people in his church. Why? He's committed. He's dedicated. He shows leadership in his church and spirituality which they can only measure by his involvement in outreach and the programs of the church. Socially, this husband is outgoing. He's very responsive to the needs of those around him. 
He's very sympathetic, jovial, easygoing. Everybody thinks he's a great guy. Not everybody. Somebody sitting in the corner of the office in their home doesn't have that thought. How can we have this woman weeping in the corner of their office, sitting on the floor, feeling like she's second rate to her husband? How can we reconcile this woman having this kind of experience when her husband is viewed as Mr. Wonderful? Is this possible, brothers and sisters? Is it possible? Yes, it is. I want to tell you what was going on with this woman. I want to tell you what nobody knew about this man and what this man and woman did not know about themselves. You see, I can tell you what really happened to this woman because she is my lovely wife. That was the woman sitting in the corner, huddled. You know, when I shared this message the first time, one of my friends came up to me afterward and he said, how could you say that? How could you share that with us tonight? And I said, I'm sharing it tonight because I want to give somebody hope that there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To change a man and a woman. You see, we were newlyweds. We'd only been married for a few months. We were the best kind of Christians we knew. We were the best we knew. Let me tell you what that means. (laughs) I didn't understand all this then, friends. But let me tell you what that meant to us. You do everything you're asked to do. You answer every call that you get. And you help everybody who calls for help. That's the best we knew. That's Christianity. You know where that leaves you? With nothing left for the one who needs it most. That's why I was Mr. Wonderful. That's why I was so respected. Because I answered every beck and call. It was hard on me if I couldn't say yes to everything. And the only reason back in those days that I didn't say yes was because I just physically couldn't do it. And my wife then wasn't getting anything left over. You see, I had a listening ear for everyone except my wife. Does that give anybody hope here today? Because that's not the way it is anymore in my home, brothers and sisters, and you know that. But I had no listening ear for my wife, except, except when what she had to say didn't cross my will. Then I could hear. That's convenient, isn't it? But when she shared her burdens, when I saw her weaknesses in those early months of our marriage, I couldn't handle it. I didn't want to handle it. I didn't have time to handle it. I didn't understand the power of God to handle it. When she felt inadequate 
when she struggled with discouragement, often my response was, you see, she was, she was a pastor's daughter. She knows all the answers, right? She knows all the answers. She knows the Bible. She's, she's read all these things. And so when she would get discouraged, when she would feel inadequate, often my response went something like this. You don't need to feel that way. You know it's a sin to be discouraged. Snap out of it. Get a hold of yourself. What's the matter with you? How do you think that makes a young bride feel? That night, that night while my wife sat crying in the corner of our office, I sat in the basement. I sat there feeling sorry for myself saying, here we go again. What is going on with my wife? What is her problem? I mean, I thought I married Eve. I mean, we had a wonderful courtship. We just could talk about everything and anything. We just had a wonderful time. What has happened to my wife? That night, as I was sitting there in my self-pity, while I had been reaching out to everyone else, that night God began to reach into my heart. The Spirit of God broke through to me that night. I don't understand how He did it because I didn't understand about my shepherd's voice that night. But He broke through that night in the quietness of my self-pity and He got through loud and clear. And he said, if you don't stop picking on your wife, you're going to destroy her. That night was the beginning of God showing me a self that I had never seen before. That night was the beginning for me of what I'm calling tonight, reaching in to reach out. I didn't know that then. But that night is the night I go back to when I recognized that. That was the night. And when God began to open my eyes and began to reveal to me that this was my problem, I was shocked. I can understand to a little degree how Nicodemus felt. When Jesus told him, you're not ready to enter into the kingdom, you need to be converted. And Nicodemus was shocked. The program he was on, he was shocked to hear those words. That night I was shocked. You mean this is my problem? I thought it was her problem. And that night God began to show me my problem. And he told me that night, write down ten things. Ten positive things about your wife. And friends, I need to tell you, as sad as it may sound, that that night... I couldn't think of anything positive. Oh, there was one thing that came to my mind. She was a good cook. But I knew I couldn't say anything about that. That's not what a wife needs to hear when she's crying in the corner. Okay? That's not what she needed to hear. Because of late, that was about the only positive thing I was saying to my wife. 
That's not what God had in mind for me to say. And that night I was broken before God and I said, Lord, help me. I have gone so far down in such a short time, I can't even think of anything positive. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens in marriages today. This is what happens. We begin to take one little weakness and defect, and it happens in friendships, it happens with church members. We take one little thing, and we begin to focus on it, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon we make a monster out of nothing. We make a mountain out of a molehill. And that's what I had done to my wife. And I said, Lord, help me. Help me to think of something. And he did. Brothers and sisters, from that moment, my mind started to open up And I wrote down those ten things and I could have just kept on writing. You know why? Because God changed my attitude. God changed my focus. God took my focus off of me and began to show me my wife, who she really was and who I really was that night. And I started writing and I got to the tenth thing and I was so excited my whole spirit was changed I felt the darkness and the oppression that I didn't even know I had lifted. I got up and I was ready to run upstairs and tell my wife these ten things. And the Lord said, no. 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 I thought that's what I was supposed to do. No. You live these ten things to your wife over the next weeks. And you demonstrate them to her. You don't go tell her. Then I said, what am I supposed to do? Well, the Lord helped me realize that what I needed to do right then was not give my wife ten things that I appreciated. What I needed to go upstairs and do was repent and confess my sin the way I'd been treating my wife. And brothers and sisters, we had a very beautiful experience that night. Because I went to my wife and I knelt down before her and I confessed my sin to her. And I repented before her and before my God, the best I understood. And I took her in my arms and we've never been the same since. God is a God of miracles, brothers and sisters. I call that phase one because that was a long time ago in my marriage experience. But it was phase one and I'll tell you what I mean by that because we went from me being Mr. Wonderful leaving my wife at home and doing everything for everybody else to us doing everything for everybody else. We still didn't have any time. But at least we were together. We were doing it together, but we didn't understand real communion with God. We didn't understand what we needed to be empowered by God with the real gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what we did, we did together, but it still wasn't right. That's why I call it phase one. You see, most professing Christians today, 
And I hope that I don't offend anybody when I say this, but this is a fact, brothers and sisters. I've been all over, well, I've been to many places in the world, and it's the same everywhere I go. It's the same in Korea. It's the same in Australia. It's the same in Mexico. It's the same wherever we go, friends. Most professing Christians today are somewhere between total spiritual blindness, total spiritual blindness, that's Revelation 3, by the way. You think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing? And you're wretched and miserable and blind and naked? That's what God showed me. Most of professing Christianity today is somewhere between total, complete spiritual blindness to somewhere into phase one. What I call phase one. Where we're working together, but we're still not working on God's plan together. We're working together, but we're still working off of our old understanding of how evangelism gets done. We're working together with doing the work of God, but we still don't have God motivating and driving that work. There's very, very little heart-changing communion with God going on in professing Christianity today. There's very little real reaching in to the marriage and the family in order to be prepared to reach out to the world. God wants His people in phase two. God wants to move us out of that experience into what I call phase two. We need to start making, as I did in my own marriage, in my own home, we need to start making some very important and tough decisions. You see, one of the hardest things is you come away from these meetings and you may be very inspired but unless you make some very hard decisions, hard for the flesh, they're not hard in the spirit, but they're hard decisions nonetheless. They're faith-building experiences. They're faith-stretching experiences. Unless you're willing to make those kind of decisions when you leave here, I can tell you where you'll end up. Back in phase one. Only you'll know more in phase one than you knew when you got here. You'll still be in phase one. God wants to to move us through some tough decisions that are independent decisions for you that I, I don't know about, but they're personal decisions for your life. We need an entire change in attitude. That's what I needed. That's what my marriage needed. I needed an entire change in my attitude. And God began to lead us through that change. A change in phase two that is a vital connection with Jesus Christ. When I mean a vital connection, I mean a connection where we come away consciously aware that we are under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That we come away knowing that we've taken hold of Christ and that we're not operating on our own basis. Are you experiencing that kind of Christianity, brothers and sisters? If you're not... Don't leave here without making a commitment that's tough. But it's the best commitment you'll ever make. My wife became, literally became, my first and foremost evangelistic outreach. My wife. I was out there doing everything for everybody else. My whole attitude and focus changed. And my wife became the focus of my most powerful energies under God to reach into the heart of my wife 
with real evangelism. Have you been investing time in your wife, husbands? I mean investing in her the way that you would invest in a fellow church member. If someone called you on the phone and they said, Brother, I'm struggling. I mean, I don't know who else to talk to. Please don't share this with anybody else, but, but brother, I'm struggling. I need help right now. Will you help me? That kind of help. Husbands, when your wife is struggling, will you give her that kind of help? That's investing in the first work. That's reaching in first in order to be prepared to reach out. To make our children our highest priority under God in the family first. Really. You see, if I ask you to fill out a survey tonight, you'd tell me that that's the truth. You'd tell me that God is first. That your family is second. But I mean, really, is that your priority? Is that really what's happening? If it's not, you need a change of attitude to learn how to reach in to make the family the first priority under your marriage in God. How is it with your children today? I was talking with someone recently and we were talking about some of the difficulties young people face in the home. You know, they can get very weary of their quiet time. It can become a ritual. It can become meaningless. It can become a drudgery if it's not connecting them to Jesus Christ. Parents, do we care enough to reach into the young people in our home? Do we care enough fathers to say to our sons, to our daughters, listen, let's take the next few days together and let's do a study together. Let's take our quiet time together and make it alive. Let's make it practical. Let's make sure we're getting connected with the power of Jesus Christ. Let's take time to do that. Parents, are we doing that? That's reaching in to be prepared to reach out to the world. Because friends, if we can't reach into our wives, if we can't reach into our children, what is it that we're going to give out to the world? Right now, the world is languishing because it needs to know how to be a married couple. Right now, the world is languishing because it needs to know how to be a single person that can connect with God. Right now, the world is languishing because parents don't know how to bring their own children to Jesus Christ and have their worship time practical. Friends, we need to reach in to prepare to reach out. You see, I've come to find in my own experience that it's truly reaching in that prepares us to truly reach out. And I'm not done reaching in. I've done some reaching in today with my own children. I've done some reaching in today with my own wife. God is calling for us to learn that simple formula that the best outreach is prepared by the best, honest inreach, reaching in before we reach out. Friends, it requires the greatest commitment that you'll ever make. And the devil will fight you at every step. But I want to tell you something. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more we take hold of that power and the more we face our adversary knowing where our first work is, the more 
joy there is in this Christian experience. It is hard. It's not easy to make these tough decisions. But I want to tell you something that I hope is tremendously encouraging to you. The tough decisions are the early decisions. The tough decisions are the big changes. When I moved out of my suburban setting and God began to reveal this to my mind as a father, as a husband, as a man, one of the toughest things for me to deal with was my lack of reaching out to other people. I felt guilty. I heard the words of some of my fellow elders ringing in my ears. You're just going out there to hide your light under a bushel, one of them said to me. Another one said, you're just going out there to grow tomatoes. They don't grow very well in Montana unless you have a greenhouse. <laughs> but you understand what he's saying. You're just going out there to to just basically vegetate in your Christian life. What's the matter with you, Tom? I couldn't explain to them then, but I'll tell you one of the toughest things for me was to go out with those things ringing in my ears, and I was out there three months, and I was facing who I wasn't. Do you understand? <laughs> I thought I knew who I was, because when I went out to, to the mountains of Montana, I was personal ministries director of a 1,300-member church, reaching out. When I went to Montana, I lived in a 35-foot trailer with my family of five. You want to know how you find out what self is like? You move from your 2,800-square-foot home into a fifth-wheeler, and you live there for eight months, and you'll find out what self is like. God was opening my eyes, and Satan was saying, Run! 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 Outreach is easier! Outreach is easier! This is hard work. It's the initial transition that's tough, brothers and sisters. It's the initial commitment. It goes against everything in modern evangelism. It goes against every kind of program that you'll hear today in the evangelical world and even the church. But you know, three months out, I got a call from our... Well, he, he had transferred. Our, our conference was the Illinois Conference and... I got a call from the Minnesota conference. One of our conference leaders had transferred and he said, Tom, I know why you've moved out. I respect you for why you've moved out. He said, I've got a church for you in the country. Come back and pastor this church. Can you imagine that? Here's a man. I love to reach out to people. I'm not a minister. I was coming out of radiology. I'm out in Montana and now this conference official is calling me and saying, Tom, I've got a church for you. Come back and pastor. It's a country church. You think that wasn't a big carrot the devil stuck in front of me? Reaching out. But the Lord said, no. No. And Ray said, don't you want to think about it? Don't you want to think about it? I said, I don't need to think about it, Ray. I know what God's calling me to do. And I declined the invitation to take that church. Oh, how thankful I am, friends. Because God wanted me to learn how to reach into my own family. To reach into my God. And then learn how to reach out. It'll be the greatest commitment you'll ever make to truly learn how to reach in. But it'll bring the greatest rewards you'll ever have in this life. And once you make the commitment, it gets easier, brothers and sisters, from victory unto victory. The Christian life is not a drudgery for me. The Christian life is my highest joy. 
I love being a Christian today. I didn't like the kind of Christian I used to be. A powerless Christian that gritted his teeth, that tried to pull myself up by the bootstraps, that tried to do all the things God told me to do, but I couldn't do them because my strength was insufficient. But I love this kind of Christianity, friends. It's empowered living. And God is the power source. So how is it for you today? Are you reaching into Christ first? Are you reaching into your marriage? Are you reaching into your family? Brothers and sisters, if you can't answer those questions to the affirmative, then your work is cut out for you and there's no greater work to be done. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Let them learn first to show piety at home. How'd you know that? That's inspiration. Let them learn first to show piety at home. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. What would he care about family? What would he care about home religion? But the Apostle Paul knew the importance of letting piety be first, first learned in the home. This is reaching into Christ to get the gospel and then reaching in to the marriage to demonstrate the gospel. That's the union between Christ and his people. That's the marriage relationship that we're supposed to demonstrate as husbands to our wives in the power of the gospel. And then reaching into our children, which is our first outreach beyond the marriage. Let them learn first to show piety at home. I want to share with you a, a very encouraging story of a man who called to host some meetings. He wanted us to come and do some meetings in their church district. Excited about the message, excited about the, the, the potential for people to take hold of the real gospel. And so they had a business meeting and got together to talk about this situation. Now, this man that was going to be the host of this meeting, he had already talked to somebody ahead of time to make sure that things were going to work out all right. It sounded like everything was going to be fine, the dates and everything. They got into this business meeting and everything changed. <laughs> everything changed. No, it's not going to work out. And he, he immediately recognized the devil is trying to stop this. So, the idea was raised, why don't we go around and start lobbying? You know what lobbying is, right? Let's go around and start putting out our ideas and start putting some pressure on. And you know that sounded a little bit tempting at first? But the Lord said, no, that's not my way. So they began to pray. And then the Lord put a burden on this man's heart. He said, you know, you, you want these meetings to happen in your district. But how is it in your own home? You want the people to find out these principles. But how are the principles working in your own home? And he said, God challenged me. I didn't need to lobby the people. I needed to go back to my home and live the principles that I already knew I needed to be living. 
And the man surrendered himself to God, recommitted himself to his family, went home and began to live that experience and then God started working in that district. God provided the opportunity for him to go back into a board meeting where the final decision was going to be made on whether these meetings would happen. And when he walked into that board meeting, he saw the determined resistance of some of the people who were going to vote it down. And the Lord gave him comfort. And he simply shared his burden. Now the burden that he was sharing was the burden of his own experience. The changes that were being made in his own family. The power that God was demonstrating in his own marriage and his own children. And he began to share this with the board in a simple presentation. And you know, he watched the faces begin to melt with the determined resistance. He gave the presentation, went outside. The pastor had arranged that he would give his presentation and leave the board meeting. He went outside and sat in his vehicle waiting for the board meeting to finish. In a very short time, the pastor came out with excitement on his face and he said, it's been approved by the board. Do you know what made the difference, brothers and sisters? He started reaching in to his own family. He started reaching in to Christ to do the very thing that his desire was for his district to have happen. And when he started doing that, God turned the circumstances and God moved the hearts of the people in a way he would never have moved them through lobbying and through man's human devisings. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of God we serve today. He will change, completely change every perplexing circumstance you face if you're willing to begin reaching in in order to reach out. Now I want to tell you of an experience of a couple that totally goes the other direction. And this is a couple that I knew before they were married. A beautiful couple, a young couple. They came together. They were, they were the type of couple that you couldn't have painted a more beautiful picture. They were, they were nice looking. They fit together so beautifully. They looked like a match made in heaven. And they loved the Lord. But you know what began to happen to this couple? The husband began getting so involved in the programs of outreach. He began to have such burdens for reaching out to other people and having Bible studies. And You know, when I say things like this, the Spirit always has me put in a, a word. Is there anything wrong with giving Bible studies? I hope not. We need to be able to give Bible studies. But you'll see my illustration here where it goes. He was giving Bible studies. He was doing the outreach programs. And you know, it was getting to be less and less that he was home. Less and less. And he kept telling his wife, Oh, I've got such a burden for souls. And she said, I understand, honey. I'll take care of the children. Three children. She said, but, but honey, can't you, can't you at least get home before 10 o'clock? And the nights got later and later. And he was coming home at 11 in midnight. And he was coming home fewer nights. And he was starting to have more time with 
some of the program leaders, one of which was another lady. Then he had time for his wife. And finally one day when his wife just cried out to him, she said, honey, I've been sacrificing you and staying home and working with the children, but please, I can't take it anymore. And he said, well, you know what our Savior said. He who is not willing to leave father or mother or wife or children for my sake is not worthy of me. He said, I think it's time for me to leave. You're getting in the way of my work for God. Can you believe that, brothers and sisters? I can believe it. That's a very dramatic example. And then these are people who I know whose hearts were broken. It's a very dramatic example, brothers and sisters, but I see it happening many places that I go. Oh, maybe not to that degree. Maybe not with those words that are so skewed with extreme, extremist view. But I see it happening. I see people that are becoming more and more busy by the things out there. I want to tell you, friends, that anything that continually drives your focus out there, anything, anything that drives your focus out there and causes you to neglect the work in here and in the home is going to take you away from God. Anything. I don't care if it's Bible studies. I don't care what it is. Anything that keeps driving your focus out there to neglect in here and in here is going to cause you to lose your way. You see, I can give myself wholeheartedly to you here at these meetings. Wholeheartedly. Do you know why? Because I don't stop reaching in to my family. That doesn't mean that while I'm at this camp meeting, I have to continue to reach into them at the same <laughs> intensity that I may reach into them at home. No. Because they understand what I need to give here. But if all I did, and I know many men who have lost their families, who have lost their marriages, who have lost their children, because all they do is this kind of thing. And it isn't really this kind of thing if you really look at it. But they just always are reaching out, out, out. We go from the mountain to the multitude. And then we go back to the mountain. Oh, how I love to go back to the mountain. That doesn't mean you have to literally go back to a mountain, friends, because some of you don't have a mountain to go to, okay? It means that I love to go back to where my first work is. I love to go back to the home where I can be regenerated in my family time and my walk with God in that deeper way. That's why I can give to you here. That's why our family can give to you here because we're not neglecting to give to the reaching in in the balance on both sides. It takes a commitment. You know, the natural byproduct of truly reaching in is outreach. It is. I didn't end up just hiding my light under a bushel. 
God had to do some work in my experience, but the natural result of cooperating with that work is to reach out to others. Because when we really have something that works, we just can't keep it from sharing to others, right? The problem is, is if we just have something that's intellectual and it's not working and we try to share it to others, we're in big trouble. I love to go biking with my family, to go hiking, camping, backpacking, canoeing, just taking walks. We have one night in the week because our family is in transition now. Every family is in transition, but I mean major transition. When they get to be 20 and 18 and 15, and they're going different directions and they've got their work. And So in our present schedule, we have... Monday night is our bike night, okay, for our family time. So we get together and we go biking on Monday night. Tuesday night is our walk together. Wednesday night is our special talk time together. Now we talk every day because we love to talk and communicate, but Thursday night is our opportunity to do things with other families. That's our social outreach together for family time. We have to be looking for ways to meet the needs of our family when they're little and when they're big. You know, Josiah stands up here beside me and it never fails when he comes up to share now that I have to consciously stand up straighter. You know, I like to lean on the podium sometimes, you know, when, when one of them's talking. And when he comes up and stands beside me now, I always feel a need to stand up straighter. <laughs> And we measured each other the other day and I'm still ahead of him by about a half an inch. <laughs> you might not notice it if he's got, you know, if I've got a little whatever shoes on, but I know he's going to pass me up. So for now, I'll stand up straight when he's beside me. But as we're in that transition, whatever, whatever that means, wherever the age is, we need to be looking for ways to reach into our families. My young people don't mind giving me time to work with other people because they know I'll always have time for them. And by God's grace, I always will have time for them. It's one of the reasons that I try to keep in good fitness because I'm getting older. So I have to be on the treadmill. I have to be on an exercise program. Otherwise, these young people will just leave me in the dust. <laughs> and I'm determined to cooperate with God in reaching into my family as long as God gives me life. When your family knows that you're going to reach into them by the grace and power of God, you aren't going to be struggling with the rebellion and the things that many families are dealing with today where they just desire some time with mother and father. But it takes a commitment, friends. It takes a commitment. You know, I'm so thankful for the example that Jesus gave us. So thankful that when he was 12 years old, he didn't go into full-time evangelism. It was 12 that he found out he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. I'm glad he didn't go out at 18. That's when most people today seem to feel that that's the time to, to go. I mean, that the world says, you know, 18, you're an adult. Come on. We don't subscribe to that philosophy necessarily either. But Jesus didn't go at 18. Jesus was contented to work day by day in a carpenter shop in lowly Nazareth. 
back and forth to his little mountain home. You know, he lived, people say he lived in Nazareth. He lived in a mountain home outside of Nazareth. I say I live in Eureka, but I live 10 miles out in the mountains. Every day he walked back and forth from his little mountain home to Nazareth, and he did that until he was 30 years old. He was contented to be a dutiful son, we're told, under the influence and direction of his parents until he was 30 years old. Why didn't he start evangelistic crusades at 18? Why? He could have. He would have been the most successful evangelist the world would have ever known. Why didn't he? Because Jesus set an example of reaching in to be prepared to reach out. People say, well, that was because it was in prophecy. Friends, he wrote the prophecy. He set the prophecy in motion from the foundations of the earth in council with his father. He wrote the prophecy. And he said, this is the way. God the Father and God the Son said, this is the way. This is the way it needs to happen. And that's why Jesus set us that example. He learned how to reach in for 30 years and then he reached out to the world with everything he had. Are we willing to ask God what he's wanting for us, friends? We did a, a meeting, a series of meetings at a church. And the pastor, after we closed the meetings, we were spending some time with him and he said, I'm committed to reach in. He said, I may be misunderstood, but he said, I'm committed to reach in. And I'm going to allow God to do whatever he needs to do in me to give me the determination, the, the stick-to-itiveness, the desire. I'm going to reach into my family and I'm going to give my family my best and then I know God will make a difference in my ministry. And that man called me and he set off a revolution in his church. Oh, I praise God for it. He called me, he was excited. He said, I made this commitment with God and he said, I began to reach into my family like I had not reached into them before and he said, it is changing my church. It is changing the people in my church. Friends, it starts there, reaching in to reach out. Are you willing? You know, Paul says something very powerfully. It's interesting that Paul has all this counsel for families. But the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. He hath what? He hath denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. That's strong language, friends. And a lot of people just want to assign that to materially meeting the needs. No. That's not all it is, brothers and sisters. If we do not learn how to reach in by God's grace to our families, then it's a denial of our faith because it's gospel order. And if we do not learn how to do that, then we're going to end up being worse than infidels. I don't want that to happen to you. And I don't want anyone here tonight to be discouraged if that's already the situation you feel like you're in and your eyes are being opened. Don't be discouraged, please. But I beg of you, take the challenge from God and then take hold of the power of God and begin reaching in to reach out. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.